podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. No, no, David Beckham is the most overrated football player of all time. He's not a legend of the game. Nope, he's not. Nope. <laughs> no, I, I will, I will not accept accept that. That's no way. He's not. He's not a footballing legend. He's a he's a legendary hairstylist, legendary model, a footballing legend. No. Like, um, I was thinking of actually to delay this even further. If, if we got a million dollar offer, like, we want to do this podcast, blah, 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 I would take $334,000, and then you guys can split out the rest of the triple six. Well, thank you, man. That's that, that's how that would work. I get the extra thousand because I edit it. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah, no truth. Harsh so. <laughs> Somebody has to get it. Uh, so, yeah. What's up, guys? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. I am Daniel Taluk. I'm Double H H H, so that's H H half old. And my name is Carl Anker. How is everyone today? We are we are doing great. Superb. It's terrific. Chelsea are winning two zero. It's halftime. It looks as if this title is done. Okay. Tottenham never stood a chance. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for listening, adding us to your podcast rotation. Much appreciated. There's only a finite amount of time that you have, but to spend an hour or so with us. We thank oh. you for it. You can review us on iTunes, leave five-star reviews. If it's a good review, we'll read it on the show. I admit I have it checked this week, but we'll, we'll read any new reviews next week. Follow us on SoundCloud. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter, which is the main one. Right, I'm Hi. freelancing right now. If you see any yeah. journalist job, slide into man's DM. Carl is available. He writes words for money. Have hope. He's doing the yep. Half Hope Football Hut. So subscribe to that on YouTube. I am watching Champions League batches. I think that's it, guys. I think we could we could start the podcast unless you guys have any ancillary topics you guys want to hit. I'm on, I'm good. We're good. Nothing happened this week that you want to share with the people? You ate a good meal, saw a good movie. Guardians of the Galaxy 2. That was very good. I was surprised by how good it was. Well, yeah, don't tell me anything. I haven't seen it yet. Say nothing, say nothing, say nothing, say is that, nothing. Is that the movie with the talking raccoon? Yes, yes, it is. With the Bradley only Cooper good movie with the talking raccoon that I've ever seen is called Over the Hedge. Oh, yeah. That Ashton Kutcher in it. I have no idea who it had in it, but it was a really good movie about a raccoon who would steal stuff from bears, and I quite enjoyed yeah, that. I, I quite enjoyed that film also. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it's Mental Health Awareness Week. So, uh, like, guys, let's, let's start a conversation. There's plenty of literature on the, on the internet about mental health in football and in wider life that I would recommend you guys check out. Yeah, hmm. one in four adults will encounter a mental health condition in their lifetime. And suicide is the biggest killer of men in the United Kingdom. Um, really? Suicide is one of the biggest killers of men on the age of 30 in the United Kingdom, mostly because we're not talking about stuff like this. So, gentlemen uh, and ladies who are listening to this podcast, uh, I would recommend you just spend half an hour this week just doing a little bit of reading about Mental Health Awareness Week and what you can do to help. Paul Gascoigne, I saw he did an interview with uh, Piers Morgan. Seems like he's doing well or better. And I, I read that, that, that they're, um, they're doing a, like a White Hart Lane kind of sending off party kind of deal. A testimonial. And, wait, 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 is this for Gascoigne? No, 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 no. It's just like they're inviting a bunch of um, Spurs legends to right. White Hart Lane. It's like a send-off kind of deal for the... For the uh, for the stadium, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, and he's not gonna go because he feels like he's doing well and he doesn't want to like risk being in that environment could kind of like set him back on a bad path. 
Well, I just thought was kind of interesting that, that he's kind of knows himself at least a bit better. Like I think they said he's turning fifty at the end of the month. So yeah, yeah man. no, no, no. Gascon really, he's um, it's he's been through some very crazy, crazy scenarios, man. You know, so yeah, it's yeah. unfortunate. But yeah, man. If you have uh, like, well, what's what's a good resource, Carl? Uh, Samaritans, uh, Calm, um, Mind, and uh, Time to Change are all charities I recommend if you're listening to this podcast and you like Kingdom. We'll put a link in uh, some description if you want to look it up. So yeah, look in the description of this podcast if you want to look up some good charities. I'm sure Carl will tell me after the podcast is done. We can we can talk some football. I guess sticking with Spurs. Can I do my hero of the week now? Go for it. Uh, Manuel Lanzini, shout out to you and your family. Um, I've already <laughs> promised my firstborn will be named Nemanja after uh, his free kick in the FA Cup. Or no, not, not free kick, just his strike in the FA Cup. But my second could be named Manuel now. Or maybe <laughs> Nemanja Manuel to look. Not a bad ring to it, actually. I don't know. But anyway, shout out to you. Can I, can I name my villain of the week early? Because <laughs> I, I don't have a hero of the week. All I have is a villain of the week. Can I name my villain of the week? You can name your villain now, but you have to put some thought into your hero. Okay. Um, my villain is Gran- Granada. For <laughs> conceding. For the conceding three goals. Yes. The whole, no, the whole club. The whole club. For conceding three goals in, I think it was twenty minutes or thirty minutes. Um, so yeah, like I, I think I think they they should rethink about ever returning back to first league football because what they've done on a consistent basis has been embarrassing. So yeah, they're my villain of the week. Yeah, like just when you think of bad teams, you think LJ, yeah, LJ Sunderland. Uh, who's the team in um in Germany that's like is it Osberg that's gonna get relegated? I think. Oh, wait, wait, is it Augsburg or something? <laughs> um. So yeah, Spurs. Is it just playing on big pitches? Is their problem? <laughs> is it that it, like like the Wembley? They suck. Apparently, yeah, they come from the on, stadium. On, they on suck. I, I feel like when they they lost at Manchester United, it, Bro, maybe they maybe, their, maybe their issue is just they can't like their game is so built on pressing and running and being in the right place at the right time and that's easier to do on a more confined space that when you spread them out a bit more they can't get into positions to press and harry you further up the field yeah well it's a bit like how arsenal were great in highbury and then just didn't quite work out once they moved off their scudetto sky size pitch yeah of course well we'll, we'll talk about it later but spurs they were never they were never in the title race so it's like they didn't bottle anything so it's yeah, like that was gonna be my question like can you bottle something you were never in the lead of? In charge of? Nope. No. Man City were the only team who could really take the title off Chelsea. Like, if Gabriel Jesus was not injured, I feel like if City and Chelsea would have probably fought all the way to the last game of the season. Tottenham don't have the... They have the talent and the players, they don't have the character or the balls to handle the pressure. Yeah. Well, like, this tight race wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for Tottenham Hotspur beating Chelsea in that 2-0 and essentially giving many teams the blueprint as to how to beat Chelsea. The, the league looked to be such a foregone conclusion that the fact that there is, was a debate over who might win the league, even for a half minute, deserves credit. Go ahead. Like, like something I think needs to be brought up is the fact that Spurs had a terrible transfer window. Terrible, terrible, terrible. They brought Janssen, Suzuko, and Wanyama. Janssen, Janssen, Janssen. Janssen. <laughs> Jansen, unfortunately, hasn't been the play like we thought he'd be because he plays in a dramatically different system. Well, archetype than to Kane. 
30 million on Musa Sissoko is maybe one of the worst deadline day signings of all time. Wanyama, Wanyama's been superb. When, when you consider where Spurs were and how much their wages were and the fact that they, this was a very rare opportunity to capitalize on Champions League and to, and to kick, up, kick on the next level, they didn't buy a transfer. And essentially, it took Christian Eriksen going Super Saiyan to maintain this amazing title run. They the also title. didn't lose anybody, though. Because you would have thought after they finished third, you have hmm. Maurice, Rose, Walker, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Dyer didn't go, Ali didn't go, Kane didn't go to Manchester United or somewhere else. Er- Erickson didn't leave, obviously. And I've been wondering this for like the past two months, and I just haven't brought up. Where's Eric Lamella? Is he injured? Yeah, Eric Lamella has a... Has a, had a very bad hip injury at the start of the season, and it hasn't healed. Do so you guys? Do you guys think he could have been allowed. like the kind of X factor wing player oh, yeah. that brings, there, that brings something a bit different? Because he scored a Rabona in the uh, Europa League. If anybody remembers that. Oh yeah. Yep. That was great. Yeah, that was last season. So like, if, if he was there, maybe they have that little bit of extra magic. But Sun's done well. So yeah, I think it, it it's understated how good Spurs have been this season, because mm. they had no right to be really like. Spurs being good this season required a lot of seven out of ten players having eight, eight and a half out of ten seasons, which doesn't happen too often in in a size of that quality of that size. Mm. And you know, your point you made about how uh, they didn't lose any players, they're surely going to lose a couple of players this season. Carl Walker's going to be going to Manchester City, and he's probably going to be able to triple his wages, maybe double them. Danny Rose has been linked to other places. This will be the next interesting step. Essentially, this tight race is done. Now we should probably start thinking what's going to happen for next season title. I don't know if Spurs are going to be there. Although, to kind of damn myself, I didn't think they'd be there this year. But I kind of feel like United are going to be better. City are going to be better. Chelsea are going to be better. Liverpool should be better. I don't know what to think about Arsenal, really. But where, where, where do Spurs fit in if they can't really bring in, like, like I kind of said last week, a great generational talent? And, and they kind of just kind of hold Pat in a way. And I, I had the same theory with Everton. Everton, two seasons ago, or maybe three seasons ago now, they had Lukaku on loan from Chelsea. Then they buy him for 28. And they, there was kind of this Everton celebration like, yay, we got him. But you haven't necessarily improved yourself. You just kind of held on to what you had mm-hmm. instead of like you, you buy Lukaku, great. But what are you going to add to him? And they really haven't added anything of note um, to help themselves. And that's why they're stuck in this kind of ninth through seventh place. And I kind of feel like if, if Tottenham, who can Tottenham buy that really improves them above what the other clubs are capable of? I feel like they're going to regress, <laughs> which is slightly disrespectful. A few moments later. No, I said I'll be back in 30 seconds. My phone uh, is in the oven, you know? What you eating, man? Oh, I'm Whoa, so I get insulted for eating, but Carl can eat, and I and I can't eat. Interesting. We I'm insulted eating. for wiping your I screen. Am, I'm cooking pork ribs. It's in the oven. So I just I just want to check them. Modra killing all those pigs, Modra. <laughs> you, you know what? I, I had somebody on this topic. I was talking about like uh, the Kentucky Derby happened this week, and I was like, Oh yeah. What's this called? What's the thing called? The person who rides it. The jockey wins the race yeah. with the horse and then rides, keeps riding the horse around after like he just whipped it for a mile and a half or however long the race is. 
I'm like, can't he walk after the race is done? <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah and and then because he just keeps riding him around. Like the only reason you're on his back is so you can make it run fast. But after it doesn't need to run fast anymore, why do you have to keep riding it? This guy got in my mention was like, would you rather have the life of a racehorse or the life of a farm pig? <laughs> <laughs> Like you have to all lives matter, my tweet. Like, <laughs> just what about oh. the farm pig? And but then I was like, you know what? I think I would rather be the horse than the pig, because especially yeah. the horse who wins the race. Yeah. Like it, I, I read like if, yeah. if if the horse wins the race, someone pays millions for it, and then it just goes on a farm with a bunch of of female horses, and then yep. it just has it procreates for as long as it can, hoping yep. that yep. one day. One of the sons or daughters will become a a champion horse racer. Yep. But I still don't get why the jockey gets the credit, because all he does is beat the horse. <laughs> oh no no! Look, especially in those muddy conditions, it does it does take take skill of controlling the horses. I think when it's muddy, have you ever ridden a horse, Double H? I tried to, but then I basically look. It's a long story. A horse electrocuted me. Long story. So ever since then. <laughs> I, <laughs> Okay, it's, it's, it's a long story. So, I think me and the horses, we have a, a bit of a weird kind of relationship now. So, you know. Oh, amazing. He said a horse Okay. We'll have to get into that on an extra. This is a football podcast, right, Carl? Um, yeah. So I'll just I'll move us on if you need to check on your pork ribs. Arsene Vega beat Jose Mourinho in a community shield, which I remember Jose Mourinho throwing his second place medal um, into, into the crowd because he doesn't keep medals, apparently. He tossed two of his winner's medals into um, Stanford Bridge in 2005 and 2006. I thought those were his losers' medals. No, no, those are his winner's medals. His idea is as soon as I win it, I'm on to the next one. So he doesn't keep the tokens. But his third Premier League medal, he kept it because his son kind of wants to keep something of his legacy. He has He's building up like a, I see. a memorabilia from his dad because I think his son's a footballer. So he kept it for sentimental reasons that time. But the first two, he threw them back into the crowd like, I don't need the winner's medals. It's for you, you know, Jose Mourinho's kid is called Jose Mourinho. And Jose Mourinho's daughter is called Matilda Mourinho, which is the name of Jose's wife. Do you know that the guy that's always his second in command? Is that his brother-in-law? Rui Farah? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Because, like, I know that his wife's name is also Faria as well. So, Faria. And literally, he's been with that guy in literally throughout his whole career. Boy Faria is a G. I was almost more sad to lose him than I was to lose Jose because he's an insane human being. That guy will swim. <laughs> he, you know, he is... Who loves Jose more than anybody on earth, I think. More than the <laughs> wife. <laughs> he, he is like the best friend you need to have, like, right or die. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, having to deal with Jose Marino and his ego for, like, 20 years, and he's still there? I've said this before. I would really like Jose to change his assistant managers. Every trophy Marino's won, he's won, which means he must have been offered a head coach or managerial job elsewhere. And he just chooses to stay with Possibly. his boy. Well, there's, there's been many a tale of assistant managers who haven't been able to, to, to make the jump to head coach. At the moment, we're currently seeing Paul Clement and seeing if he can manage it. You know, Paul Clement was Ancelotti's assistant manager at Real Madrid and Chelsea, I believe, as well. Mm. Um, and he hasn't 
No, he's, he's had some success. We're having Craig Shakespeare's turn right now with uh, Leicester, which is, well, which is a successful one. But elsewhere, we've had Sammy Lee when he took over for Big Sam at Bolton, which was a disaster. Rene Messelson was one of Ferguson's late era. He took over at Fulham and one other club, I believe, and really couldn't do it. Um, Carlos Queiroz, another Ferguson late era assistant manager. Queiroz is particularly important because he more or less showed Ferguson how to manage in Europe effectively and is a big reason behind Cristiano going to Manchester United. He was a failure at Real Madrid and I believe he was in Portugal, a Portuguese team for a bit as well and that didn't quite work out. So it's interesting. All right, here's a question. Would you rather, because Jose Mourinho is a guaranteed job. He's won countless trophies in four different countries. He's guaranteed work. Even if he gets sacked from Chelsea, he goes to Manchester United of all places. Like He gets sacked and improves in a sense. Would you rather stay number two with a kind of a guaranteed gift horse or kind of venture out on your own and potentially get sacked and then can't find work well, afterwards? It, it, it depends how much confidence you have in your ability. I think for Rui Faria, he's smart because he's like, I don't feel I have the tools to be able to make the step up to manager because trust me, there is a seismic gargantuan gap between being an assistant manager. There are some people who just don't want to be the kingpin, though. This is true. There, yeah. there are some people who are happy to be the shooter. But, but wait, 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 wait. You, you look at Chris M. Hewton. He was the Tottenham assistant manager for ages since I was watching football in the nineties. And he said, you know what? Let me just step up and gather all my experience and then look at what he's done with him, right? I think that um, for Rui Faria, it's just a, a case of like, you know what? I don't think he believes that I'll be able to make it as, as a head coach. And if I now venture out, say, Jose Mourinho, I'm going to now go away. Will Jose Mourinho now say, hey, I feel you with my, my loyal friend. You go out to be a head coach, you, you mess up, you ask for your job back. Do you guys know The Wire? Can I use The Wire? Yeah, yeah. There are some number twos who probably look at their manager and be like, I want to be Marlo, right? <laughs> But there are some people who are just happy being Chris. Like, I'm happy being the number two shooter guy. And I feel like Rui Faria is Chris, whereas, yes. Jose, whereas Jose Mourinho is Marlowe. Yeah. Uh, my point is, though, Jose's never changed his assistant manager. And Jose's style of football hasn't really changed for maybe four or five years. So you think getting rid of Faria and bringing in an assistant, a, a new assistant, would change his football? Well, from what, you know, if, if you've been listening to this podcast enough, you know, I believe football managers have uh, a limited tenure, a limited half-life where their methods are effective and eventually they have to mix it up. Um, and I think the key to mixing it up, if you want to be around for a decade or maybe more, is to frequently rotate your assistant managers. This is why when people always go, oh, what about Ferguson? How come Ferguson was in charge for 25 years? Very, very important. Ferguson changed the assistant managers frequently because he believed that he had more to learn. When he needed to figure out how to win the Champions League, he got Carlos Crows in. When he realized he, his uh, old-fashioned Scottish uh, socialist methods weren't necessarily key with international players, he got Rene Moltisson in to teach him basically how to connect with a newer generation of children. Mourinho could do with the freshening up of his backroom staff. Is it fair to because... say that Ferguson wasn't the greatest tactician, kind of psychologist and man-manager, right? So he needed to change his tactical philosophies with the times. Therefore, th therefore, he would change his assistance. Whereas, yeah. whereas Mourinho considers himself to be a brilliant tactician and it's been proven in some cases that he is, even if he isn't, a kind of aura or perception has been built that he is in which he would believe that he actually is a brilliant tactician. Therefore, 
why would he need to change assistance to mm. bring in new tactics if he already believes he himself is enough tactics-wise? Mm. It's, it's too stubborn to accept right, right. somebody coming and saying, hey, I think you should do it like this. Do you know how arrogant Mourinho is, which is what makes him so amazing? Ferguson's no. brilliance is recognizing his shortcomings mm -hmm. and realizing that he needs the help. Mourinho doesn't necessarily feel, at least in my opinion from what I get from him, that he would need a tactical change, a tactical switch, because I know I've done it at Porto, I've done it at Chelsea, Inter, Real Madrid. I've been tactically brilliant in certain pockets during certain games, so I don't mm. need anybody to teach me new <laughs> tactics because I am Jose Mourinho. This is a great point. I, I agree entirely. Although, you know, my, my counterpoint to that is his uh, record against the top six which has now become particularly poor. Um, statistics have now revealed he's got four draws and six defeats against members of the top six since January 2015. The last time a Mourinho-managed side scored more than one goal against the top six side was January 2015, and that was in the 5-3 defeat to Tottenham Hotspur. His strategy in big games against the big teams, against would-be rivals, isn't to beat them. It's to play no. for the point and... And yeah, I, I, I don't know if anybody's watched videos of Mourinho, but he always talks about the point and basically we are going to lock this team up, play for a draw. And if we get enough chances, like the Martial chance against uh, Arsenal, if that goes in, great. And then we can kind of sit back further and play with a one nil lead and hopefully win the game that way. But against big teams, it's just we're, we're going to sit back, soak up pressure and play for a point. And if we get something better, cool. Especially in a league like the Premier yeah. League, you can't even sit back against Stoke and hope that they're not going <laughs> to score a goal. Like it's very hard to keep a nil-nil or a one-nil. So that's the issue. This is this is what frustrates me. It's Mourinho's method. Uh, you know, as Half Hope said, it's the arrogance of Mourinho believing that this is the the high tactic. Did Matic that just the, score only, goal? the only the only Sorry. way you can take a top six team on is to basically go we will aim to not lose and then maybe see what can happen. Because if I try anything else, we'll be on the receiving end of a 4-0 hammering. Where we've seen other top six managers say, actually, no, this is worth it. This is, this is, it's worth letting the shackles off in the risk of a loss because we might end up with more points. I mean, right, what? Jurgen Klopp has the best top six record out of there because he, doesn't, he wants to win games. And it's reflected in how he approaches a big game. He's going to go, I'm going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you. I'm going to play my, we're going to play our pressing style we're going to try and impose our will. And, you know, more times than not, he's come off successful. So go back to the 2-0 Tottenham Hotspur game. That was Pochettino matching Chelsea man for man. Same formation going, yeah, I believe you've got a better side. And they came for the better guys. And it, did, it gave Tottenham Hotspur such a great boost that for the, you know, for the rest of the season, knowing that these guys are the champions elect. They've won 13 games in a row. But you can beat them man for man, toe to toe. Whereas Mourinho's approach was basically all right, we're going to play low block because if we don't, I don't, because I don't trust you guys enough, so we're going to lose. And it, it, showed, it showed in the game against Arsenal. He tried playing, he was playing, yes, it was a weakened side because clearly wants to prioritize the Europa League, which is, you know, depending on your view here, there or whatever. But United looked so poor and off the pace. Wenger did this three at the back thing with the wing backs again. What was really effective was it seemed as if uh, Axel and Smalling had been a task to man-mark Alexis Sanchez. And Sanchez went, oh, if you guys are going to man-mark me, I'll just drift centrally. And then Kieran Gibbs and Aaron Ramsey will have all this space to run into. 
which essentially happened. Aaron Ramsey had the best first half of that game because no one was picking him up. Ramsey? Ramsey had the best first half of that game. He was making um, loads of runs. It was very hard to pick up. He influenced the game quite a lot. You know, for me, I, th- I thought Xhaka really held down that midfield in the first half, especially. Xhaka, yeah. the best game he had against top opposition. When I was trying to do the review of the whole thing, I was caught between two minds. As in, did Arsenal play well or did United allow Arsenal to, to play well? Because... Both. That's it. Mourinho, look, at the same... Like, first of all, for, for Martial, if you're... Like, Martial is not a, a lone striker. He can play as a lone striker, but he's not essentially a lone striker. Like, what Mourinho was instructing of Martial, Drogba can do. Ibrahimovic can do so, but really, pick Drogba can do easily. But literally, the only guy supporting Martial was Rooney. That's it. I'm really and, if, and, and, and if Shrek is the only guy supporting you, you're screwed. <laughs> Don't do that. It's like, pretty much one one against five. So what happened was that he was so, like, conservative. I keep your shape, keep your shape. That allowed Arsenal to say, man, we have so much space. These guys are not actually, actually pressing us. They're not putting us under pressure. Giroud is complete trash. Like, Welbeck being in there, <laughs> being like a frontman, was actually such a difference for Arsenal because they actually had a guy who actually could actually get the ball at his feet. Again, he's not that adept at football. Technically not great. But compared to, 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 to that tree, you know, he's... he's... <laughs> you know what? Do, can, can we talk about, like... If and, and we kind of talked about this last week, where like if you bet in certain players, maybe these issues wouldn't be surfacing now. But Martial, like, why would he pick Koscielny of the three center backs to kind of pin or play on? Mm. Like that's that's Arsenal's best center back. Pick Holding. He's young. You should be able to get a a bit more joy from Holding. But it seems like he always went to Koscielny, and I feel like that's just rust in not playing that position nearly enough. He got it wrong. He got it wrong. He got. You know they 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 didn't they didn't set themselves up well and they didn't set themselves up well they did not adapt well Rooney this oh it it was really sad watching Rooney play <laughs> listeners of this podcast will know I'm a, I'm not a, a Rooney fan and uh, but it's it's got past the point where I'm like oh he can't he can't do it anymore too he really can't do it anymore he he looked off he looked short he, off, he looked off the pace well, he, he like, had, when when was the last time he started a, a Premier League football match Burnley I believe. Yeah. So recently then. And he, Burnley, and he admitted in the press conference that he was puffing a little bit when it come the end of the game because he's lacking, you know, as, as, as it's been stated by uh, Ferguson, that he needs, he can't just play one game as a one-off. He needs a couple of matches to play himself into the fitness. It really, China beckons and thank you, Rooney. You've been a superb club servant, but I think, I think that's it for him. Do you know what, he's, than, you know what, he's been playing first team football, like impactful, meaningful games since he was 16 yep he's 31 now 30 maybe uh one of the little graphics on the on the tv screen was 750 games for club and country yep that's a ridiculous amount of games for someone who's 30 like you were the concept miles on the clock yeah like he's he's 30 but his actual football body is probably like 37 yeah (laughs) And it and it's not like I don't. He's never had one of those like ACL tears or something like that. But he's had, you know, knee problems out for two months, ankle problems out for a month. Those add up. And it, it's yeah. always, it was it was always my argument with someone like Drogba, for instance, where he I think he signed his first professional contract and he was twenty one. So when he came to Chelsea, people were like, oh, they're signing a twenty five, twenty six year old or something. But his his football body might as well be like. 22, 23, like he hasn't played that many 
top flight weird stat. matches. Do you want to see a weird stat in football? Um, Drogba and Michael Owen have the same scoring record in reverse. Hmm. The goals Owen scored in his first season matches the goals Drogba scored in his last season and vice versa. Um, <laughs> which again, you know, Owen, Owen, Owen started off at 18 and by the end he was, yeah, he was technically 31, but he had a lot of miles on the clock. Yeah, so, so like, uh, do you worry about that for players? That kind of burnout? Yeah, so I believe Adam Bate, Adam Bate wrote this article for Sky Sports about how rather than look at age, we should look at their four, I think it's 400 professional appearances mm-hmm. will now, should now be taken as the new metric of Essentially, once they hit 400, it's only downward up from there on in to that end. You know, the arc was being written in Torres to basically say this is why Torres just lost it very quickly. Made the conclusion that, you know, Lukaku won't be playing till he's 33. Absolutely not. He's been doing the same thing. He's, you know, Lukaku started playing, was a top scorer in the Belgian league at the age of 16. Like, Lukaku's a bit different in. His game isn't predicated necessarily on like incredible exertions of physical speed. It's more strength. I I feel like he'll be able to do that, and and not in the same way. But Zlatan is Zlatan is kind of the exception that proves the rule. He always would take time off. He wouldn't necessarily Mm. be like I'm gonna run fifty. I'm gonna do like fifty sprints in a game or stuff like that. He would conserve his energy. For times where he needed it, thirty-six now, and he's been playing since he was mm-hmm. a teenager. But yep. his game translate. He'll be able to do what he does at fifty. Yes, there's this great. There was a great anecdote uh, from the World Cup 2014 where Rio Ferdinand was talking about Carlos Tevez, and he goes, "The thing about Tevez, sometimes he'd rock up to Thursday in training, and he wouldn't train. He'd just go have a massage." I'd be really confused as to why he was doing it, but you can see it now. He's 31, 32, playing this high running game, and he can still do it. Because he knew his body on a very intimate level. You know, you know, Cristiano is having ice baths at 3 a.m. because he knows his muscles respond better if he does a certain thing at a certain time. I, I kind of had the same thought about, like, Balotelli. It just, just to quickly go off this, like, uh, oh, I guess I, I could use basketball as a reference. A, a team goes on, like, a 10-0 run, as my weekly basketball references continue, and a coach calls a timeout after, like, a dunk or a three-pointer. Mm-hmm. And... The, uh, the team that goes on the run, they go to the bench, and then so, uh, one of their teammates will run off the bench, and then they jump in the air together and kind of okay. like go back to back and kind of like some team aerial celebration kind of thing. And whenever I used to play, not that I played on some professional level or anything like that, but I was always cognizant that if I jump and I sprain my ankle here and I'm out for two weeks or something, I'm not going to be happy about it, right? And I, I always, whenever I watch football and the same kind of thing happens, my brain kind of goes to like, are you jumping unnecessarily? Like, what is that jump going to do on your body that you don't know 20 years later? No, 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 but it's, it's a celebratory thing, man. It's like... No, I get it. And because I'm not there or in your body, I can kind of look at it from a kind of callous angle. Whereas in the moment, of course, I, if I scored a goal and it was like in the 90th minute, of course I'd celebrate. But... It's just like those little things that you do to your body that you don't necessarily notice. I believe Harry Redknapp banned his players from sliding on their knees in goal celebrations. Well, like I heard a rumor basically saying you can't do it because you've caused too much damage on your knees and your whatever. Like it's, uh, United fans will know Solskjaer took years off his career because he incurred a shin injury after scoring for Manchester United and then doing a knee slide and it went wrong. <laughs> There's this one quarterback who scored a touchdown. Um, and ran like he head butted the wall 
Oh, no. <laughs> and he concussed himself. <laughs> wait, wait. Was, wait, wait. was this uh, Michael Vick? No, 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 no. It was a guy called Gus Farratt. He played for the Reds. Oh, I shouldn't say that. He played for the Washington football team. There's been a long litany of uh, hilarious football injuries. I believe didn't Rio Ferdinand once injure himself by stretching when he woke up when he got out of bed? I heard something like that. I heard Tracy McGrady injured him. Like I've had this happen recently. I thought it was bull, but I sneezed and my back hurt, yep. and I was like, <laughs> I'm dead serious because Tracy McGrady. They said like he sneezed and he got back spasms. And people were like, nah, yeah, this dude's, this dude's full of shit. To me, yeah. Yo, I sneezed the other day, and yo, my back was like, I heard, felt like a twinge. I was like, yo, Tracy McGrady was real. <laughs> uh, I remember one player injured their foot by break, by dropping a, a bottle of salad cream on their big toe. And oh, another player another player fell over his dog. Late at night, he was coming home, and he fell over his dog, and that was it. I was going to say, like, Rooney, didn't he get in a fight with somebody and get knocked out? Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> didn't, was it, was it Phil Barsley who Wait, potentially knocked out Wayne Rooney in his house and then he did the celebration after he scored a goal? That celebration got me 50 pounds. Did it? 50 pounds? Yeah, the moment he did it, I put a tanner on him scoring and celebrating with a boxing pose. And, uh, yeah, I got fives. So thank you very much, Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, just just going back to the Tevez point, I was like, whenever I look at Mario Balotelli just not training, I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of see the point here. <laughs> just like, I, like it's kind of the Allen Iverson, like we're talking about practice. Like all practice. I need to do is score a goal, and he scored two goals in two games against PSG and Marseille. So it is. Didn't have a great game against. Oh, he scored against Marseille. Yeah, he did. Oh, lovely. They, lovely. they lost two one. Uh, I think Gomez and Evra got the other goals. Champions League. It's still Champions League, baby. Champions League. Do we have to talk champ? Like, the games are over. Like, <laughs> the ties are dead. Like, Juventus Real Madrid final. We might as well talk about that. Like, like, like I mean, like, Monaco have, like, I say Monaco have a 2% chance. Atletico have a 0% chance. Really? Yeah. You think Monaco won't score at home? No, no, no. it's away. It's, it's at Juventus Stadium. It is at Juventus. It is at the Juventus Stadium. My, my mistake. Um, and, and the Juventus have only dropped points at the Juventus Stadium. Like last time, obviously, they, they dropped points this weekend. But before this weekend, they dropped points at home, I think, in 2015 or 2016. 2015. Okay. All right. So, we are, so Daniel and Half Hope, you are of the agreement that the Champions League ties are finished. Aren't you? No. No, I'm, I'll, I'll take that. Um, shall we talk about what we should look out for then? What should we look out for? Should there be any player? If we are of the opinion these Champions League ties are done, mm. I would advise everyone watches Monaco while they still can. Because this Monaco, I don't think this Monaco side will be around next season. I was going to bring that so up when, when, when we talked about Spurs. That like Spurs mm. got that extra second season where nobody left. And I was going to bring up Monaco at that time. But now that you brought it up, we might as well. Mm. Like Bernardo Silva, Bakayoko, Mbappe, Mbappe, Mendy, Sidibe, Fabinho. I everyone's going, man. I don't, know, I don't know if everyone should go. Oh, no, 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 no. Everyone should stay, but I'm saying what is going to happen. I mean, I'll be very surprised if Silva, Bakayoko, and Mbappe are playing for Monaco next season. I'll be very the, surprised. The only player I feel like should leave Monaco is Bakayoko because I feel like, or and maybe Mendy, because I feel like he could get big money somewhere. Um, and I'm never against yeah. people getting their money. Like, actually, if, if, if someone's going to improve your, your money and your life status crazily, then I always say go. Like, just go get your money because your career is finite. And if someone's going to improve your wage by 100000 or some crazy number, then do it. 
but should is a different is a different case. Um, but Bakayoko, I feel like in the kind of glorification of all Monaco's young players, I feel like he's getting a little bit more shine and hype than maybe he should because he didn't have a great game against Juventus. Um, and I was I was looking at him closely because Chelsea were linked, and I was like, I don't necessarily see what everybody is so hyped about here. Mm. Um, so, and and I I see it with Silva, I see it with Lamar, I see it with Mendy, I see it with Mbappe, I see it with Fabinho. But him, it's kind of, and you know, maybe I should allow him a bad game and let people who watch league uh, week in week out have their say, and they say he's really good. So, who am I? But. Mm. If indeed he is being a little bit boosted by Monaco's crop of new talent, you got to go now while your stock is as high as it's going to be. Because if those players leave and Monaco's stock drops, then your stock would drop as well. So. This was a really good point raised in uh, in correspondence to Riyad Mahrez. Mm. Basically, last season he was being linked to Arsenal and PSG, and following this season of indifferent football, he's now being linked to Bless. So Conte being ahead of his time in that Vardy got a was it nineteen million to go to Arsenal and rejected it. I, I know Mares must have had an offer for sure, um, and maybe maybe Leicester Arsenal, just didn't want to sell. But um, yeah, yeah, like Conte was smart to uh, to be kind of callous and rude in that way. <laughs> just, you know what? We had a great ten months, but uh, I'm gonna go to London and get my money. And I'm going to win the league again. So, <laughs> yeah, best player ever to win a league title with two different clubs, and, and also Max Schwarzer hardly featured for Chelsea in that thing this season, so does he doesn't count? Actually, Petacek injured himself, and I feel like Mark Schwarzer kept a clean sheet at uh, the Vincente Calderon. So I appreciate Mark Schwarzer for what he did. He's also got a lovely range of uh, children's books. So. Does he? Also, I think Mark Schwarzer started against Liverpool. If I'm not mistaken, it, in that two oh, win. So shout out Mark yeah. Schwarzer. All right, heroes of villains. I already said actually I have two heroes, or do I have two villains? Ah, uh, no, I, I did have two heroes, but I want to see who Carl says is his hero because I feel like it's the same person. But my 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 original hero is Manuel Lanzini for scoring a goal, and my villain is <laughs> who is whoever on the FIFA committee decided that Messi's suspension was going to be voided. And they find him 10,000 Swiss francs, which is like a penny in his account. And they revoke that too, because it wasn't clear if he actually insulted the referee, which it was a thousand percent clear he insulted the referee. Yeah, and, no, I'm glad, and I'm glad Art, Artur Vidal came out and said that there are different rules for FIFA when it comes to Messi. So FIFA are my villains this week. Yeah, yes. I mean, you know what? I've got to steal. I mean, I was, I was, yeah, I mean, I said Granada, but. If we're going to put him aside, FIFA, that's completely ridiculous. I mean, how do you overturn that? He insulted the, the referees. It's, 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 look, he, he said his, your mother says something, something. So, I just, <laughs> um, something. he thought they put that, was it not? I don't, I don't, I can't lip read Spanish, but apparently people who do said it was yeah. fairly cutting. Oh, yeah, I believe that, it was a uh, son of a whore. Yeah, is, no, Messi has a, a dirty streak in him that people don't like bringing up. He has to have that nastiness in him in order to be as good as he is. Don't yeah, see I'm any other way. Well. Messi gets off on a lot of uh, he gets off on a lot of stuff because he doesn't speak English, and he's tiny and like five foot something, <laughs> and he has, no, no, weird, no, no, and he has no, weird little no, ears. The guy's rude, man. I mean, don't Spend don't bear in mind. Neymar went to Barcelona, and then Messi dyed his hair blonde and got some tattoos. Like he's having his teen rebellion phase now. Mm. 
It, it, it all went downhill after he missed that penalty. <laughs> We're like, what is like missing transformation with the, the sleeve? He got like his whole leg tattooed. Yeah, 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 no, ever since that penalty, man, he's beard, like, blonde hair, like, yeah, he is, he is a rebellion phase, isn't it? So, who's your villain and hero, Double H? Gregor Granada, as I explained with before, for pretty much just being consistently crap and an embarrassment to football. <laughs> and my hero is Morata. Again, his his goals against, um, again, sent him Granada, specifically how he keeps on proving how um, he is better than Benzema, but isn't given a first team place. And Chelsea would be wise to go for him because if Costa is going to go to China to get paid £500,000 a week, Conte should really look and get Morata in for, for Chelsea. That would be a very wise move. Carl? Uh, hero was Leon Britton. Um, I think he was superb for Swansea this weekend. That is not who I thought you were going to say. <laughs> uh, I think he was great for Swansea this weekend. And it, it's really nice that Swansea... But there's a real battle for the relegation spot. Uh, also, a shout out to Rafa Benitez. Also, not who I thought you were going to say. <laughs> so, championship fans, the final day of the season, it only got remarked maybe very late on with that who was going down and who was staying up. So, I believe Blackburn Rovers didn't realize they were relegated until some moments after their match finished. Wasn't it? Was it Nottingham Forest? It was Nottingham Forest and Blackburn Rovers were up and right. down, up and down, and up and down. And then it sort of took like three or four minutes after. I believe it took three or four minutes after Rovers to finish their game when we all realized they were being relegated. And then it was the, I think it was the 80th minute, Jack Grealish scored a goal for Aston Villa that made Newcastle the champions of the championship. And I think it's amazing what Rafa Benitez didn't have to stay at Newcastle, um, but he decided, he decided this was going to be his next big project. He's done amazing work, um, not only in the first team, but the, you know, he's, went to a, a number of charity events and he's really done a root and branch and healed a lot of the, the, the bad feeling that uh, Mike Ashley brought to the club. And he's just, he's just, he's one of the loveliest men in football, quite frankly. He still donates to the Hillsborough charity and uh, is like, he's got a key to the city for Liverpool and well-earned as well. He's just a thoroughly nice man. This, I read this in a magazine ages ago, but I believe, check if, if this, this is true, because this was back before the in, internet was popping off. Apparently, he took his wife on their honeymoon to the San Siro, I believe. That's where they spend the honeymoon. Just a nice man. Just a, a thoroughly nice man. Who so, uh, I am glad only managed Chelsea temporarily, because I don't like him that much. But then he won, <laughs> he won your... He, but, Think like let's take that. Oh, come season. Let's, take that let's take that season as a as a little thing Carl, as to how nice. Carl, he is. do not was... equate this Europa League to uh, Jose Mourinho's Europa League. I beg you. First off, Jose Mourinho inherited the oh, Europa League. Ch- Chelsea earned the Europa League by getting knocked out. I think they were in a group with like Juventus. Also, Europa League wasn't a way to get into Champions League that year. So, it's a trophy. It's a it's a trophy, and you create you did the uh, trophy Grand Slam. You're one of the very few clubs that's won every available trophy there is. Yeah. Mm. Like, very few clubs can do that. Manchester United can achieve that. It's, it's the way it happened. I would rather get knocked Manchester out in the semifinals of the Champions Europa League than win the Europa League. Really? If, if we earned Europa League, meaning if we finished fifth in the Premier League and then the next season we're forced to play the whole Europa League campaign, fine, win it. But if we start out in the Champions League, finish third in the group, and then we win the Europa League, it doesn't have the same resonance for me. 
so the the metric I'm giving this is my current FIFA save. So uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, it's, it's highly unscientific study. Um, so in my first season, I'm I'm using Florentine in my FIFA save right now. Um, my first, you know, I've finished in the Champions League spot to the last 16 with Florentina. I got knocked out by Manchester City in the Champions League. And then the next season, I purposely decided to tank the Champions League. Huh? I tanked. I went, I can't, I can't win the Champions League with this Florentina side because there are too many European superpowers. But I can win the Europa League with the players I've got. So I tanked. I finished third in my group, qualified for the Europa League, and I won it at Canter. Now, that is probably too hard to do in real football. That is illegal to do in real football, Carl. If you purposely tank, you'd be investigated for match fixing, Possibly. essentially. I reckon you could... You, there are ways to tank in football that I don't think UEFA would notice. Mourinho did it against Arsenal. He just didn't play his best 11, right? That's something of the, out the uh, question. Chelsea uh, won, Chelsea won, Chelsea won. 84 points to Tottenham, 77. So if they beat West Brom on Friday, title's done. And Middlesbrough relegated Lovely. from the Premier League to the Championship. Yay! Oh, jeez, <laughs> wow. That's, <laughs> that's harsh. Oh, anyway, anyway, after that quick news interruption, back to regularly scheduled programming and cost fever safe. The point I was trying to make afterwards was it's quite hard to do in real football. I think the closest comparison you have is what Sevilla did for mm. two or three seasons where they went, yeah, you know what, we can't win La Liga, so let's just focus entirely on Europa League and they came away with some Europa League titles. But obviously, the margin for error in knockout football is so thin that all it took was one bad, severe knockout round in the Europa League and then it all would have fallen to pot. But something to think about. If you're a team like uh, a side like Borussia Dortmund, like what is the point of Borussia Dortmund? The only thing you can really hope for every single season is maybe win the German Cup, which they have a good chance of doing. But it must be hard to try and create some sort of thing where you know the only thing you can do is possibly win a cup competition, which is slightly disheartening. You know, this is, this is me talking as a very blessed Manchester United fan where every single season there is a good chance my team finishes with some silverware. Whereas if you are the supporter of another side, like, say, West Brom, the best thing you can hope for is maybe a top-half finish. It's, it's interesting to look at what football is to a lot of people because football for me is winning things. But there are some fans out there whose primary experience of football is watching their team lose. Some people's experience, of, you know, in their entire lifetime, if you add up the amount of games their team will play, some people will have losing records. Mm. And I find that interesting because as a United fan, I get mad when my team draws. <laughs> you know, in, in, in an extra, we, we need to talk about how, or at least my theory, I don't think it's a theory, I think this is just a fact, that people pick clubs to have a better feeling about their own lives. <laughs> it's true, it's true. There, there, there's no reason that there should be so many Chelsea fans, Real Madrid fans, Manchester United fans, Barcelona fans. Why, why don't you support your local club? It's because you want to attach yourself to something that brings success and gives you a good feeling. Yeah, but like that's what I'm also, and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely not. Not, not. Look, trust me, life is so dark for some people that anything you can use, whatever kind of fantasy thing you can use to lift yourself up, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm anyway, all for it, it. It goes a bit deeper, but we'll, we'll save that for an extra. Yeah. While we were on the championship, okay. I was going to go through the four teams and who do we want to come up. So Newcastle are in the Premier League next season. Brighton and Hove Albion. Champions. Are in the are in the Premier League. Lovely, fantastic. Um, and, and four teams in the playoff are Reading, Sheffield Wednesday, Huddersfield Town, and Fulham. So who do we want? I want Fulham. Well, no, Reading. Are the, are going Actually, to go. no. 
and because the, I I say Fulham strategically because that's an away game that's like a mile away from Stamford Bridge, right? <laughs> so that's that's good. So it's basically just a home game, basically. But Huddersfield Town have David Wagner as their manager, and I feel like there should be more mm. black and ethnic or what is it, ethnic minorities or minority ethnic? Black, black Asian and minority ethnics. I kind of want him to come up, so I'm rooting for that. But if Fulham win, cool. Yeah, for me, I think for me, I think Reading will do it. But personally, yeah, I would like Huddersfield to do it because again, like when last went, no, they've they've never they've never been in the Premier League. Guys, if you look I at the do. table, Reading have a they played 46 games, 85 points, and have a goal difference of four. <laughs> Huddersfield Town have 81 points and have a negative goal difference. <laughs> That's insane. How do you have a negative goal difference with 81 points? That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, Huddersfield probably won't get promoted based on the fact their goal difference is negative four. I think it's it's just a stretch too far. They've overachieved. The the feeling in amongst Huddersfield fans, I follow uh, Raj Baines, who is a Huddersfield local and a Spurs fan. He's at Baines13, I believe, on Twitter. Also into his rugby league. Recommend you should all follow him. Great writer. You know, he he's talking about how Huddersfield fans had no idea Huddersfield were going to be this good this season. So I think it's maybe a step too far the playoffs. Um, I wouldn't want Reading to get promoted because we've got too many teams of a London affiliation already, and Reading play LVG like turgid football. Um, that said, I'm going to completely contradict what I said and say I want Fulham to get promoted because Fulham score so many goals. Um, I was talking to the editor of Football London, which is a great new football site around uh, the London clubs in the Premier League. And uh, yeah, he described them as a the championship's version of Monaco, which I think is a great description. So I'd quite like Fulham to come up. Um, so yeah, that was our quick championship discussion. Let's have hope you got anything on this. I'd want Fulham to go up because where I walk is pretty close to Fulham Stadium and tickets prices are a lot cheaper. I, watched, I remember I watched Nigeria against um, Italy at Craven Cottage. Oh, lovely. So it's a pretty um, easy place to, to, to go to watch matches because mm-hmm. it's close to my workplace. So, yeah, that's do, they, do they still have the Michael Jackson statue? No, that's gone now. <laughs> no, I, believe that's, I believe that's now in the Football Museum in Manchester. But, but, but the thing is that I would want, um, again, just what thing is that I would want Huddersfield to go up based on the manager and where he's. So, and I'll just be interested because they've never been in the Premier League before. But I do believe that all things given said, I just, I just think Yapstam, Reading. I just think that's going to happen. I, th- I think they'll, they will be the ones to go through and um, make it the third team to roll in through. And also, like, I think Reading, they, I think they've won a lot of playoffs, so they have a history of actually coming through these playoffs and actually coming into the Premier League via these playoffs. So mm-hmm. they know how to, how to do it. So I just think the experience of that, I think, over the other cats like Sheffield Wednesday, um, Fulham, and on, on all those cats. All right, so Carl's villain. Uh, Danny Welbeck for scoring against Manchester United and celebrating. Danny Welbeck. I love that boy. I love you that boy so much. And he broke your heart. He really hurt me. <laughs> he broke my heart. <laughs> uh, no, okay, um, Carl. I-, I thought your hero was going to be Totti. Oh, yeah. Well, Totti announced his retirement um, in the week, and I apparently thought, it's uh, not true though. Apparently, because I was reading a bit more on it, Totti said that, or his representative said that, no, someone gave out that statement that, no, he's not actually been, that's actually not the real truth. And also Spalletti, he came out and said that, you know what, he probably 
regrets taking the Roma job because almost every single time he's asked about Totti and he's almost become bigger <laughs> than the actual club. So there's a little bit of um, um, beef, misunderstanding between Roma and Totti. So I don't, I don't, because remember, Totti hasn't actually come out and said, I'm really, mm. I'm trying. We're just a statement being, being made, but Totti hasn't actually come out and exactly. said it. I mean, for me, like, I think that Totti should retire personally because, well, he's 40. 40 years of age, 25 seasons at the club. Like, like remember, um, between 2000 and 2002, Totti was, I'd say, top three of the best players in the world. And he was the best playmaker in the world between 2000 and 2002. So he could have moved to Real Madrid or Juventus oh, yeah. during that, that time, but he didn't. He's like the, the progenitor of the false nine. Yeah. Um, I, recommend, I recommend anyone listening to this podcast uh, to read Sam Dis's gushing eulogy to Totti that was in the print magazine, Mundial magazine, which is a wonderful magazine he edits. You can find the online eulogy to Totti on Squawker. Um, so if you just type in Sam Dis Totti Squawker, um, you'll find it. And it's, it's a wonderful um, breakdown of the, the glory that is Francesco Totti and some of the amazing goals he scored. Um, always remember Francesco Totti's autobiography is called uh, I'm going to chip him now uh, which is what he said which is what he said just before he took his penalty in the 2000 uh, euros before mm. he chipped Edwin van der Sar he picked up the ball looked at the Italian team on the halfway line and went I'm going to chip him now and he did it yeah. and Italy went through so yeah wonderful player so go go read that I also do you remember the there's a Dan documentary you guys said where they were playing i think it was valencia or villarreal or something mm-hmm. um and they just the documentary just watched him for basically the whole mm-hmm. match i watched yeah. that last night it took it, it took like 20 minutes for me to understand what the hell was going on <laughs> but but as, but as soon as i figured out like oh okay this is how they're cutting it back and forth and this and that i was so into it like i really wanted to go to sleep but i had to stay awake for it so that was it's a really great. interesting Thank documentary. I wish like they it was a series though, and instead of just being like you got to think, they had on the pitch there was a Dan Beckham, Ronaldo. Beckham, Figo, don't don't, don't put Beckham in this, this in discussion, please. <laughs> Forlan, Raquel May was on the pitch at that time. Who else? Roberto Carlos. There were just so many legends on the pitch, and Beckham is whether you yep. like it or not. Have for Peter football legend. No, no, David Beckham is the most overrated football player of all time. He's not a legend of the game. Nope, he's not. No, <laughs> no I, I will, I will not accept accept that. That's no way. He's not. He's not a footballing legend. He's a he's a legendary hairstylist, legendary model, a footballing legend. No, what? I think Basket David Beckham was properly rated. No. David Beckham was one of the better passers of the ball and was superb centre midfielder and right midfielder. Mm. Um, David Beckham had one skill that he worked tirelessly to hone. And yeah. he turned it into a Champions League medal and no, a La Liga medal. No, and probably you were a specialist. You were not a football player. You were literally like a weapon. That's it. There's this famous quote from George Best describing David Beckham. Beckham can't head the ball. He can't tackle. He got and he's got no left foot. But other than that, I think he's all right. Listen, apart from free kicks and crossing, that's it. As far as playing with the ball at, at his feet. Useless. So the most overrated player of all time. So now, don't you dare put Beckham in the same category as Figo, Zidane, Carlos. He's not a footballing legend. Uh, no way. Don't, you can't do that. I'm sorry. You can't. Saying do that. he was on the pitch at that time, and I'd have liked mm-hmm. him to maybe follow other players at that same time, or maybe like a one that follows around Iniesta, or one that follows around. Oh, that's Frank, good. Or Frank Lampard, or one that follows around just legends of the game at that time. Totti. 
follow him around for a whole game. And it was it was really really yeah. interesting the ways that Dan walks, like his gait. Mm. I never noticed it that way before. He prowls. <laughs> yeah. I just think he drag his foot. It's like what is he up to? He's just thinking. So yeah, there's something really good. But if you're a Madrid fan, you'll 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 love it. But if you love football, I'm sure you'll like it. Questions of the week. Thank everybody for their questions. Some really good ones this week, I think. So we'll start off here. This is from Football Regista. Thank you for your question. So if I can decipher his question, there's like three tweets, and they go kind of go back and forth. So what are our opinions on the Spurs media hype? And he's basically using the example that there's a graphic that said Spurs have the most points over the last two seasons, yet mm-hmm. when, when there's a pressure situation, they crumble, like in Europe. But when mm-hmm. there's no real pressure, they perform. Right. So so and he also put the point that they've never been top at any point over the last two years, but it yet there's still media okay. hype around them. They were top for like top for like an hour last season. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> have hope. Can I answer this question? Yeah. Just straight off. So a really good metric of how good a team will finish in the league isn't um is by their wage system. Basically, you look at how much a team spends on wages on players. And then you can have a pretty good guess at how good their players are and therefore how, where they should finish in the league. So generally, the team that spends the most on wages finishes top. The team that spends the second most finishes second, so on and so forth. However, we already know Tottenham Hotspur have a very interesting wage structure. You know, the highest paid player is Harry Kane, and he's on 110. I think Hugo Lloris is on something similar. Basically, Tottenham Hotspur don't pay that much money for their players. This is why Tottenham Hotspur is always at risk of losing their top players. This is why... Like I said before, Kyle Walker can triple his wages if he goes to Man City next season. So Spurs' wage system, Spurs pay the fifth most wages in the Premier League, I believe. So generally speaking, providing every single team in the Premier League performs at the level they're supposed to, they should finish fifth every single season. Spurs have consistently finished, have now finished second. And Carl, um, yes? just, just, just to interject quickly, could, could an argument be made that their players are underpaid, though? Oh, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. So... so right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's using their wage structure as an example for where they should place a bit disingenuous to the truth in a way. Because Harry Kane is top three strikers in the Premier League. Deli Alley is one of the best attacking midfielders slash secondary strikers in the league. Like yeah. Dem- Dembele and Wanyama are <laughs> up there in terms of central midfield. They have the best central defensive partnership, one of the top five goalkeepers, mm-hmm. and their fullbacks are the best fullback partnership. So basically Tottenham, are not paying their players enough. When we talk about Tottenham Hotspur, we shouldn't talk about Tottenham Hotspur this season, or we shouldn't talk about Tottenham last season. We should take it as a massive hole, like a big cohesive hole. We should really consider where Tottenham were when Pochettino took over after the Sherwood debacle and what he's done to them now. He's taken a side with the fifth highest wage uh, level. He's taken a side that was a collection of overpriced internationals and disillusioned players. So if you took, look at Jan Vertonghen, Jan Vertonghen and Lloris, were players performing far below their current their their standard because they basically didn't want to play on the Sherwood anymore. And now you look what they've turned them in. Like Tottenham Hotspur are Tottenham Hotspur are the second best team in the league right now. They're a fantastic, they're a great cohesive unit. They're a play there's a team that played great on the sum of its parts. You've got young players coming through who are playing some incredibly technical football. Just the fact they haven't won a trophy is an asterisk on their success, but the trophy should come. The fact people are saying they haven't won a trophy is does a disservice to the fact that they're ahead of schedule. And it's a very similar thing to Liverpool as well. Liverpool and Tottenham are way ahead of schedule now. And we seem to have forgotten in the last six months that both of these teams should be really happy to be in the Champions League rather than disappointed they're not winning the Premier League. Mm. 
that's the point I was no, I mean, I think, like, that's, I mean, because, I mean, it is interesting, because just listen to what both of you guys are saying. I'm actually not sure whether Tottenham have overachieved or they achieved exactly where they are. Because it's interesting, because in my view is that if they'd won a trophy, I'd say they've overachieved. But the fact that they're going to, I will assume, finish second twice, initially I will say they've overachieved. But then when you actually really think about it, and when I really watch them play, Dele Alli is probably the best number 10 attacking midfielder in the Premier League. Harry Kane is the top three of the best strikers in the league. They have the best wing backs in the league. They have like a top two defender in Aldevaro because next is Eric Bailly. Loris, eh, I don't know about him. Dembele, probably top three, top four of the central midfielders in Dembele. Wanyama, apart from Kante, probably the best kind of box-to-box midfielder there is. So you can say, okay, maybe it is Pochettino's coaching, take them to that level. But as far as how they are playing, like Leicester City, that is a huge overachievement. Even when I saw them play, I'm like, how the hell are these guys? It's like the only player Robert. who was like the best in his position was Kante. And Ma- Mars that season was a good winger. Okay, you see Kante, Mars, and Ate. Like Morgan, who perhaps. In fact, no, no. Apart from those first six, ten games, I still wouldn't say Vardy was like the, the, the best striker in the, in the league. Was Casper Schmeichel ever top five goalkeeper? No, no. Was was Huthid Morgan ever top five nope. centre back? No. Nope. Was Danny Drinkwater? Fuchs, nope. Fuchs and Simpson were never top fullbacks. It was only Kante, Mares, and maybe Vardy. You're going to send me Okazaki? No. <laughs> right, to, to, to cap this off, um, please. The, uh, we, we, we've all talked about how um, Spurs have, you know, Deli Ali, who's an amazing 10. Um, and how they've got amazing defensive midfielders. You bear in mind, those players weren't considered to be that good at the start of last season. Dele Alli at the start of last season was just a, uh, a scruffy young kid who just came up from MK Dons and was expected to get maybe 10 starts. Harry Kane was, you know, had come off a, what many people considered a one, a lucky season. Eric Dyer was considered to be a so-so continental style English centre-back. And it's only now after two seasons of success and success, that now we're saying they've underachieved? Like, our definition of achievement for Tom Hotspur has changed rapidly in the last two seasons. No, no, no. They're achieving exactly where they should. I, 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 I never said they underachieved. As far as overachieving, coming second, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. But I never said underachieved. No. You know what? Tom Hotspur are a joy to watch and we should just enjoy them now while we still can. Yeah. Next question. From Fab Pacino. Frequent question giver. Thank you. From what we've seen so far this season, who deserves to be the top three for the Ballon d'Or? Um, I would say Messi, Ronaldo, and N'Golo Kante. Just to be different, Chiellini, Bonucci, Kante. <laughs> um, oh, 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 sorry. Gio- Giorgio, Bonucci, and Kante. I can't remember. You know, I cannot remember the last time I actually watched a Ballon d'Or ceremony. Like I can't. It's. I just. I. I, I see the pictures, but I never watch it. Yeah, you know, people watch that. Why? <laughs> There's no point. I was gonna say Messi, Ronaldo, and Griezmann, but uh, based on your point, based on both of your points, I'd say Bonucci deserves a spot. Yeah. So Bonucci, Messi, Ronaldo. I. I'd also make a point that Neymar against PSG in the second leg. I don't know if there should be a special recommendation award, but the last five minutes of that game against PSG, unbelievable. It's a statistical anomaly how good, how good he was for five minutes in such a high-pressure scenario. 
That's what Neymar does, and that's what Messi can't do. High pressure, Neymar. Like, stop. You, did you just say did Messi you know, can't do it in high did pressure? Did you not watch the classical double semi World Cup final, World Cup semi, <laughs> World Cup final, World Cup semi, World Cup final, Copa America final. Did he miss a pass? And where, where was he in a Copa America final? Uh, what was he in the World Cup final? <laughs> next next uh, question. Thank you for the last question, Fabricino, from Red Devilology. If you could change the result of one game or tie, what would it be? Does this also change the tournament, or does it this just change, or am I just going to change a game for Fonzie? I feel like this is like, if you could go back in history and alter the course of a particular tournament or season based on one game, oh. which game would you change? Oh. That's how, that's how I'm interpreting this, game. this question, and I like it. I and, and I know exactly the game, game that I, I would change. But I know exactly the game I would change. Have hope. Do you do you know the game you that you would first, change? Daniel? Um, has to be Ghana Uruguay. <laughs> oh yeah, World oh. Cup. I mean, because I think if Jean just focused head, scored that penalty, Ghana going to a semi final. Who knows? That would have been a very basically Ghana against Holland semi final would have been a very very exciting game. Yeah. Carl, was that yours? No, it was not. But that was a that was a lovely selection. I have hope. Thank you. That means a lot um, for a Nigerian to say that. That, that actually, really no, 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 no. And a lot as well. A lot as well. But actually, you know what? Maybe okay, I, I was going to say Nigeria. Denmark, to put it this way, Nigeria Denmark is possibly the most pivotal moments in in my life because after oh, okay. that's like because after that loss, I ended up crying and I ended up saying, you know what? This is bad for my health. I have to rethink how I watch football matches because. How old this, were you at this point? 11. Because <laughs> I remember the Nigeria-Spain game when Sondelisa scored to make it 3-2. I was too nervous. I actually didn't watch the last 25 minutes because I was too like nervous. So when Nigeria lost to Denmark, I was like, wait a minute. This, this, whole, this, this could actually properly crush me. So I've got to rethink how I follow football teams and everything because this is me caring a bit too much. If I'd altered that, and let's say Nigeria beat Denmark, Nigeria would then have played Brazil in what I believe would have been one of the best football matches of all time. The, one of the biggest ever misses in football history was 98 Nigeria against 98 Brazil in a quarterfinal World Cup. That would have been a classic football match. Would have lost or would we? Who knows? So those are the, the, the two. Nigeria beating Denmark to, to face okay. Nigeria and Brazil and Ghana beating Uruguay to, for Ghana to face Holland in a semifinal um, of the World Cup. All right. Do you know, my answer just changed because I thought of a better now, one. My answer has been the same for several years. Can I, can I go? Go. I take the Champions League trophy away from Chelsea and I give it to Bayern. I believe, and I've, said this, <laughs> I've said this on numerous websites and podcasts, I believe Jogba's penalty is the biggest change in European football since the Bosman ruling. Now, I'm going to explain to you exactly how Jogba winning that Champions League changed Is it so because things. Tottenham didn't make top four and Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid I'm, and staying with Tottenham? I'm t- like, it, it's got, it, like, that goal had so many ramifications. It's not just Tottenham Hotspur. So, first thing first, Bayern Munich win that Champions League. Bayern Munich win that Champions League in Munich, in their own stadium. Philip Lahm, who was a ball boy at the age of six, lifts up the trophy that he captains. So Bayern Munich are like, right, we've done it. We've won a trophy. We don't, so Bayern Munich probably don't go supernova. They probably don't go we have to destroy everything and everyone to win the Champions League. So there's a very good chance they don't spend all the money and go get Goethe and they don't get in this habit of cannibalizing Borussia Dortmund. Chance Borussia Dortmund still have some of their, let's say, OG, very good young players. 
So there's a very good chance Klopp is still at Dortmund right now. Also, Chelsea don't have that Champions League title, which means Roberto Di Matteo doesn't stay. With no Di Matteo, you bear in mind in 2013, the available managers were Mourinho, Ancelotti, uh, I think one more. So there's a very good chance Chelsea go and was pick it Mourinho Pep? early. Was it Pep at that point? I think maybe Pep at that point as well. So they either, they either go, so Chelsea either go hyperspeed for Pep Guardiola or they go and get Mourinho early. So that has massive ramifications on the Premier League. Also, as you said earlier, Dan, Tottenham Hotspur finished fourth and they get the Champions League because Chelsea didn't win it. With Tottenham Hotspur in the Champions League, not only does that mean Harry Redknapp stays and most likely Gareth Bale and Modric stay, it also means Eden Hazard goes from Chelsea to Tottenham Hotspur. We, it's been written in a number of newspapers that Eden Hazard, following Chelsea's win, said, I'm, I've delayed my decision and now I'm going to go. There's the famous tweet where Eden Hazard declared, I'm going to play for the Champions League winner. Basically, you know, the Champions do, League swap. Do, do you know part decision. of that was because Drogba was on the phone with Solomon Kalou or, oh. or, 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 or something like that. He was on the phone with somebody and uh, Eden Hazard was in the room. So Drogba spoke with Hazard and then he was like, come to Chelsea. Then Drogba phoned Abramovich and was like, talk to Hazard's agent. And somehow, yep. some way, Drogba's phone call led to Eden Hazard going to Chelsea. So Eden Hazard goes to Tottenham Hotspur. That means Tottenham Hotspur, Gareth Bell, Eden Hazard, possibly Luka Modric and Harry Redknapp at the table. So they, they, go, they, they become essentially a title contender a little bit earlier. With Harry Redknapp still at Tottenham Hotspur, England stuff doesn't quite happen. So Royal probably doesn't become England manager. So there's ramifications on the England national side as well. You also look at the Manchester clubs as well, because with Eden Hazard going to Tottenham Hotspur, it probably also has a very big effect on what City does has a big effect on what Manchester United do as well. Because by 2012, Ferguson essentially winding down his uh, tenureship. After, after the two defeats to Barcelona, Ferguson was of the opinion that he would never win a Champions League again. So he was just going to focus on winning the league. Is that the only moment like that that has so many tentacles? It's the only one I know for sure has so many tentacles. Interesting. So I know for sure that at least two different managers would be in two different clubs and at least two different players would be at two different clubs because of what would happen. You know what? That one goal. My game changes your game okay and my game well it, it affects you just as much as yours affected me in that john terry makes his penalty in 2008 Ooh, like in, in moscow if john terry makes his penalty and chelsea win the champions league there's no way that czech lampard drogba stay together until 2012 the team would have broken up long before oh yeah who knows what happens to football if chelsea don't stay together those extra four years why do you think because it, it, why do you think they break up because Drogba said the only reason he returned in 2010, like af- after they won the Premier League again, was we haven't won the Champions League. Oh, okay. Well, actually, the moment I change is he doesn't slap Vidic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just don't slap Vidic. He takes the penalty instead of John Terry, and they win in, in Moscow. That's it. That broke my heart when we Avram, lost. Like... Avram Grant stays Chelsea manager. That one is also very interesting. Basically, Chelsea Champions League is very interesting because Chelsea... It, the, because of the way Chelsea went from like European never was to European heavyweights, Torres never gets bought. By the way, if yeah, we win that basically, game. <laughs> yes, this is true. Basically, Chelsea's come up was so quick. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, I have wait. I have two, two more. Actually, <laughs> we're gonna be on them This is the thing people make a point about how City are underachieving in Champions League. Pellegrini said this. He goes, "Look, it took Chelsea a decade to get it right. You don't, you don't overnight become really good because you've got a lot of money. You, you have to figure out." the two-week thing, you've got to figure out uh, the type of caliber of player you can bring in. It, it, mm. takes, it takes a while. And I think it's really fun doing butterfly effects with Chelsea's one because they were so noticeable. 
they did it in such a we're gonna buy players in such an aggressive manner yeah. and we had such a force of personality in our managers and our ownership that you knew what would happen my two things because this actually wait, wait who actually asked this question this is actually a bloody good good question who asked it's, 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 this is my favorite game to play <laughs> I play it in every single football my two scenarios the first one is Man City don't win that league title on the last day through Aguero ooh but, that's a good one so United win the league City don't win the league by messing up on their home ground against QPR I feel mm-hmm. that Aguero probably doesn't stay. That team gets disbanded. I mean, Pellegrini... Oh, sorry, sorry. Um, what's his face? Pancini gets sacked. 100%. He could get sacked. And I think a lot of the yeah. core of that team gets broken up and they don't... City never end up winning the league title. Never ever. That's, yeah. Like, literally, that's become so bad that the owners, they just go crazy. And literally, Mancini goes... A few players probably get sold as well. Maybe even Aguero as well. Definitely Balotelli. And I think because of... How that just messes up them psychologically, mentally. They will never, they they won't ever be able to recover from from that. Interesting one. <laughs> Honestly, by them not doing that, Liverpool win the league. Oh, Liverpool, oh, Liverpool win because that has such psychological um, ramifications. City will never ever be able to get in a position to win the league title. Come on, my second one. Zidane scores that header in extra time in the 2006 World Cup, and if he does that, there's an argument to be made that he probably is the greatest. Football player of all time. Yo, if you could mm-hmm. change the headbutt in the 2006 World Cup final against Italy, and he makes the penalty, or he makes his penalty, and they go on, go on and win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still think it's his score all of the. No, for me, I think it's a lot better saying that he scores that header. Yeah, yeah. That way, there is and no penalty again. With penalties, you never know. Yeah. Maybe they score one, and another French guy misses it in in Solenet. But I think if he, because that was a superb save by Buffon. But if he scores that header. And they hold on and they win 2-1 in extra time, man. Uh, the, the point I would make, have hope, is if I, I strongly feel, and most United fans feel, if United had won that league title instead of mm. City, Ferguson would have retired there and then. Mm. So does that mean Van Persie doesn't leave Arsenal? Very. They, I mean, if, if City don't win that league title, Van Persie ends up at Man City. That's very obvious. That's a mindfuck, guys. Um, <laughs> Next week we'll do it, but this time you're not allowed to change the path of a title. So that one's a lot more personal. You can't give, you can't change a title, but you can just change the outcome of one game. Is the standard of refereeing in England? Uh, this question is from yeah, Board X Core. Is the standard of refereeing in England rapidly declining, or is technology just making mistakes more obvious? It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. Um, the FA has a real problem around now. They can't get enough referees because of the abuse problem. So there's a really strong problem with abuse at grassroots level in English football. Quite a lot of young referees are choosing to not go up in levels because they're saying it's just, it's just not worth it being referee. No one likes a referee. Everyone's calling X, Y, Z. There have been threats of uh, violent, you know, abusive language and violent behavior. Um, so there's a, there's a dearth of referees coming through. The, pro- the problem is basically we haven't got enough good referees. We haven't got enough good referees because we haven't got enough referees in general. And you just know about it more because Sky Sports have shiny TV packages that point out every single mistake. I guess another one for Carl. This is from at Packed Mouse. What do you think will happen to Mourinho if United flop in the Europa League and miss out on the top four? No, no, no. They're winning the Europa League. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> so defensive. It says what it, you it, think. It, it's all part of his plan. Look. It's an if, double H. Let, let the United fan answer the question, man. Carl, answer the question properly. So Not much will change. I think not much will change. I think he'll still be given £150 pound 
in the summer to buy whatever plays he wants. What can he buy because for 150 argument, pounds? 150 pounds? I'm very sorry. 150 million. I still think he's going to be given 150 million um, in the summer, regardless of what happens. The argument Mourinho has put forward, still not his team. They're still unlearning a lot of Van Gaal's processes. Uh, he still hasn't quite got the, the chemistry right, and he needs to spend more money to get there. And I think he's going to be of that opinion whether or not we win the Europa League or finish in top four, regardless. Uh, next question. When we'll have... This is from D.N.D. Durin. He, his name is Michael oh. Hardy. Hi, Michael. Apparently, Carl knows him. <laughs> Um, when will half hope, not have hope, but half hope, admit he is infringing on Triple H's gimmick and must now face him in a steel cage for the H World Championship? I have no idea what that means, but I'm assuming one of you guys does. Triple H is, Triple H is a wrestler. wrestler, full name of Hunter Hearst Helmsley, but for some reason he now calls himself Triple H. But I still remember what he was when he first debuted in the WWF, not WWE, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. <laughs> And I wouldn't beat Triple H in a steel cage anything because it's me. It's it's half half half, half hope. And so 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 you, you are double H. He's Triple H. So this is the H yeah no yeah I'm, I'm not I'm double H. He's Triple H. I'm also no I'm also he's not Triple H. He's Hunter Hearst Helmsley. I'm double H. I mean he was originally terrorizing, and before that he was John Paul Levesque. So uh, <laughs> you are you are slightly mistaken. I have no idea what these guys are talking wrestling. About. Wrestling. wrestling. It's, it's really not wrestling. Wrestling is like wrestling. Is <laughs> yes, we also we also the South Park episode. Well done. And it's really, you know, wrestling. <laughs> you, want, you want to wrestle? It's not wrestling. This is from Rahimsky. Um, shout out to Andrew. What will be first position in football to be taken over by artificial intelligence slash robots? Uh, defender, central defender. The easy. My answer is goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. I want a robot yeah. goalkeeper. There's well, no way score against the robot goalkeeper. If a robot can pretty much go at top speed to any kind of, of corner and can pretty much read, then you, you can't score. I mean, you can go sweaty. <laughs> Keep them out of the beautiful game. There you have it. Could, could robots look so realistic you wouldn't be able to tell if one was a robot or nah, not? Nah, I would, I would, I would. Keep robots out of the beautiful game. Yeah, no. <laughs> no one else could, but have hope could. Carl, Carl, what do you think? First position to be taken over by a robot. Goalkeeping, I believe, because you just need to code one goalkeeper based on... I mean, have you watched the Robot World Cup? I have not. So the World, Robot World Cup is already a thing. Um, and there's a there's a quite an infamous gif of the penalty shootout and that is particularly poor, where the, the, the striker nudges the ball at a very, very slow pace. And then the goalkeeper simply lifts his arms up and then falls right. <laughs> And then still, and then still misses the save. Um, but you know, my argument is is a, it's a lot easier to destroy than it is to create. So a defensive player is more likely to be done by AI first. Um, and of that, you could probably make a. You know what? Actually, I'd say a centre back, just a centre back. Center yeah, you, I'd say central defender. You don't, you know, don't have to move as much. You don't have you to move as much. You have programming a, like Barresi Maldini into like one robot brain. <laughs> or, or, or like if it's artificial intelligence you just sit the robot down in front of a TV and play YouTube comps of the best central defenders of all time and just let him watch and then yeah. he just goes on the pitch and he just repeats what he saw well although with 90s, de- 90s defending he'd be red carded in, 20, <laughs> in 2020 or 2040 or whenever it is so maybe that wouldn't work all right. but who knows 
Uh, last question from friend of the podcast, Paul at United Rentcast. What is the happiest football has ever made you? Nigeria winning the Nations Cup. The, the recent one? Yeah, 2014. Hmm. Good choice. Carl? Does it have to be one game or can I just pick a, a prolonged period? Um, like I, I responded to, to his question. I was like, out of curiosity, what's your answer? And he said, I think when we won the league in 96, it should have been 99, but personal circumstances didn't allow that, sadly. And honestly, 2012-13 is up there too. So maybe he thinks like a whole season or a whole campaign. And I kind of responded that there's times individual games have made me happy. So, for mm. instance, Chelsea winning the league at Bolton in 2005. That was great. 2012 Champions League, drug was penalty. I don't know what I – like, I couldn't tell you what I did after that penalty went in. I, I know I, I wound up outside with no shirt on. But, I, <laughs> what, but what happened in between, I can't tell you. But then there's times like football, just being there has made me happy. Not necessarily the individual game. Not individual games, but the game itself. Yes. So – like me watching games with my dad, it, it doesn't matter what's on. Like we watched Tottenham, West Ham. The game made me happy, but well, being there with, watching it with my dad at the same time made it fun because he knows the game, but he doesn't know who the players are. Uh. <laughs> so I, I, I get to explain who the players are, but he maybe knows more about football than I do, but he doesn't know well, who same. the players are. So those, those times make me happy. So there's different levels, um, I guess. So I, you can answer it however you want, Carl. One game would be the 2000. Eight Champions League. I was yeah. I was eight years old for I was eight years old for ninety nine. So I was happy, but I remember I remember two thousand eight Champions League final. It came after one of my worst ever days academically. So it was during my AS levels, which is the the exams you take a year before you pick a university. And due to the way my subjects got structured, I did seven and a half hours worth of exams mm. in one day, which is just painful very very painful so i got home i was feeling terrible a lot of these exams had gone very badly because i you know, went to school quite far away i only got home at five got home had dinner was watching the champions league and we watched it on not on the living room television but we watched it on a tiny television that my dad put on top of the washing machine in my house so it's just like <laughs> So it, it sounds like very like hood engineering going on here. Yeah, it's the television. It's the television you switch on when you are doing chores. Mm. And uh, I had exams, you know, it, because of the way exams were. I had exams the next day as well, so I couldn't. I wasn't really supposed to stay up for extra time, so I was hoping nothing would happen. And uh, we went to penalties. And I remember when Ronaldo missed his penalty, I was in tears. I was just like, "This is the worst day of my life. I can't believe it. This is really going to happen to me." Imagine, um, and then, imagine being a Chelsea fan seeing Anelka doing a short run-up, idiot. Yep. And then John Terry did it. <laughs> John Terry did it. And I remember, I remember when John Terry did it, I turned around and I kissed my dad on his bald head. And he went, all right, look, look. He goes, I remember I kissed him on his bald head. And he goes, look, you're having a bad day, so I'll let you get away with that. But never kiss me on my head again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we won. So that, that, that was a really happy day for me because it, it just like, it was one of those things that football has always had a unique ability to break me out of really bad depressive spells. And uh, like the 2014 World Cup was just that summer's one of the best summers of my life. Uh, I think I, I think many football fans will agree the 2014 World Cup was just a, a time of great happiness. Literally, like those. I wish we were doing the podcast then. That would have been a yeah, good. Yeah, like, you know, like, of course, you know, those two months of a World Cup for me, 
is one of the most happiest that I can think of. Because again, like life is stressful. They think the knife, but just just for two months, just for, for, for two months, literally, I'm like, wow, I am genuinely I'm happy. Then it goes back to like from yeah. August to thing when I've got to now deal with life and everything. But for those two months, <laughs> I months deal with life. Yeah. It's like I'm uh, anyone anyone in the United Kingdom that stayed up until two o'clock in the morning to watch uh, to watch Japan versus Ivory Coast in the group stages has a special place in my heart because it was ridiculous because of the time difference the Japan Ivory Coast game only went on at two o'clock in the morning so there was just like quite a few nocturnal football fans watching it and I thought that was lovely Um, so I was really happy I was very happy during that spell and also like I've said this before if it wasn't for the 2016 Euros I probably wouldn't be here like that summer was really really hard and really really painful but football kept me through it so Hmm. yay football yeah yeah and, and, and it's like you said like last week like I, 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 would, I would hope, like, we could, like, in 2018, like, yo, you guys want to go to the World Cup? But that bitch is in Russia. <laughs> and that's just not happening, bro. It's, it's just not happening. I'm not, I'm not going to see you guys in Russia. Like, nah, bro. Yeah, I'm not seeing it Russia. And that's, well, I'm, I'm meeting for the Euros 2022, where they all go around Europe. You guys want to go to Azerbaijan? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Why not? <laughs> Well, I need to go to Europe. I need to come to Europe. But anyway, th- that, that was our last question. Um, so thank everybody for listening. I'm sure this is going to be a long podcast. I don't know. This every Tuesday. Shout out to everybody who's made it this long. Remember, follow us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Or subscribe on iTunes. Follow on SoundCloud. The links will be in the description. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. You can look us up there. Wherever you get your podcasts. I think we're on Google Play. Just We're, we're, we're somewhere. You can find us. You can follow me individually at Danny Look. You can follow Carl at Anchorman616. You can follow Have Hope at At Have Hope Hot. Exactly. Guys, let's get out of here, man. This is the Zog Podcast. Sometimes funny. I'm serious. Always football. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace. 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 Podcast Network.